Amen. It's a good day to be in God's house. How many ready for God's word today? All right. Would you come with me to Isaiah chapter 40? Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to gather around God's word this morning. We're going to read. I'm going to read from Isaiah 40 first, and then we're going to move to a, a gospel reading. But the first reading today, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry and I say what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, and say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God, behold the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead those that are with young. Let's keep that in mind, and let's go now to the Gospel of Mark. Chapter number 1. Mark begins, he says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as it is written in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea, and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes one who is mightier than I, and the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. And Lord, we do thank you for your word. It is indeed a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. I'm grateful, God, that I, at one turn, your, your word will provide a, a rebuke for us. It straightens us out. It lifts us up. And then at another turn, your word has the ability to put us back together when we feel that we are undone. Your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides us. It separates our will and our inclination and gets to the heart of things. So, Lord, now in these next few moments, we open ourselves up to the best that we know how. 
And Lord, in faith, we believe at the end of our ability, Lord, that you will meet us there and that you will make up all of the difference. We can have a desire to know you. We can have a desire to know your word. But God, we know that without the spirit of God, Lord, that we would never commune with you. So send the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Commune with us in these next few moments so that when we leave here today, Lord, we can say one to another that the Lord was in this place. And I'll never be the same. Let your word do what it is designed to do. We're grateful for it. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And amen. I, I, I like opening lines and, and sort of first words. Many of us remember, if you have kids, you remember their first words that they're spoken. Some of us get frustrated with the first words that our kids have spoken because it wasn't our name. It was somebody else's name or it was something that seemed insignificant when we were hoping it might be a, a calling of, of knowing us or being, being near to us. We, we remember first words. Sometimes we remember the first words in the conversation of someone that we fell in love with. Or we remember the first words maybe that were spoken to us at our dream job the day that we walked in and we were experiencing new. Maybe for you it was the first line of, of a poem. Or maybe for you it was the first words you heard uh, off of a movie screen. There's a line that just captured you and, and sticks out to you. Charles Dickens has a very famous line that, that you and I have heard, we've read, we've potentially even studied uh, from a tale of two cities. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. That line begins the great work, and it, and it captures us. There's a sense, even with Hemingway, Hemingway had a, a, an ability to do this, and there is one of his works. His first line was, he was an old man who fished alone. The old man in the sea begins this way. That line hooks you in, grabs hold of you, and you begin to think about it. I was reading this past week, and there was a, a man that was recalling a time where he was in a school for, for journalism, and he was learning what it was to, to write a lead line and what it would be to sort of capture attention and capture an audience with, with words. And, and the rule for the, the class was you have to answer the questions of, of what, when, where, and why those four questions were to be answered in the first line. You could only do it with 24 words. And there was this sort of restraint, but the restraint was actually to harness, to get them to do their best work, to get them to be compelling, to get that first line to be powerful. The, the even answering the question who wasn't to be done in the first, it was the second line. We want you to focus in on these areas because the first line matters. You and I know this is a word that we use in our culture now. It's called clickbait. We think about the way in which uh, headlines are written, and it is intended to entice us. It's to bring us in. It's to get our attention. It's so that we'll click here and we'll follow there. But I, I want to draw your attention, I think, to maybe one of the best first lines maybe in human history. Genesis 1, 1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a powerful way to begin a word. Genesis has this sort of poetic rhythm and flow to it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so here when we look at Mark's gospel, it's important for us to know that Mark has every intention that his first line not separate his work out from all of the works that have preceded his. It's important for us to know that Mark's gospel chronologically is written before the other gospels. 
So many of the other gospel writers might have read Mark's work before they began their own. And Mark begins with sort of a callback to the very beginning. In the beginning, where he tells this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior. He wants us to know from the very onset of his work who Jesus is. He wants us to begin from the very beginning, understanding the work and the role that Messiah plays that Jesus would fulfill. Mark's work is a, an interesting one. And Mark's work starts with a very, very interesting character. John the Baptist is one of those figures in Scripture that sort of has a mystique around him, but also has this sense of, man, what a guy he was. The calling to be the forerunner, the calling to prepare the way, the calling to make known the coming of the Lord. I love that the Bible not only tells us about his ministry, I like the Bible that the Bible gives us an insight to a little bit of John's fashion. I like that the Bible tells us a little bit about what he's wearing, also what he's eating, and begins talking about what his ministry looks like. John is a very interesting character. And the message that's being delivered to the people is what? It is one of repentance. It is one, yes, come and be baptized, but make no mistake about it, but come and repent. And so as Mark is writing the gospel and as John is declaring the word of the Lord, it's important for us to see that it's not separated out from the story of God and what God has been doing and writing throughout history, but it is stepping into and he is playing a part amidst the actual story that has been told from the very beginning. The season that we find ourselves in now, Advent, is one that is awaiting. It is a one of anticipation. It is one of longing. And so what we do is we think about the longing that was there on the arrival of Jesus. We anticipate the arrival of Jesus again, but we know that this waiting is such a rich part of the history of God's people. Many of us are in the room right now and we find ourselves in this place where we are longing to be somewhere that we're not currently. Maybe for you, it is a job. You are longing to be in a different profession, in a different career, and you're waiting on God to open the door. You're waiting to move from this season to the next season. Maybe for you, it's a, it's a relationship that you're in and you're longing to get out of this season and you're wanting the relationship to mature and to get to another place. Many of us are in places and times and seasons where we're waiting. Not only do we wait with hope that we talked about last week, but also this season reminds us that in the midst of the waiting, that there can be a peace that dwells in and among us. But that this peace has to be received from the only one who can provide and give us peace. You see, John is, is a, a, an interesting figure because he is confronting sort of religious society. He is going about things differently. While they're holding sort of their religious affair in the city, John is sort of to the outskirts and he's proclaiming that there is a kingdom and a king that is on its way and we had better pay attention to it. Do you see it said that the crowds were beginning to surround John? Can I remind us that John knew full well who he was, knew full well who Jesus was, and even in the scripture gives us a window that he knew that he was only supposed to set the table, that he wasn't actually serving the meal. He says, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy enough to untie 
the sandals that he's wearing. So don't get confused. Just because I'm preaching, just because I have the message, just because I'm setting the table, please don't confuse me with the one that you're supposed to be following. He says, listen, I'm going to baptize with water. He says, but there's one that's coming that will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Other translations also add into there, in the Holy Spirit and with fire. He says there is a, there's a different sort of ministry that's happening. He said, this is just the appetizer. Don't get filled with this. There's a whole nother meal coming. You ever find yourself at a Mexican restaurant ordering tacos and they provide for you before the meal chips and salsa? Have you ever had the moment where you've ate more chips and salsa than you should have and when the meal came, you were full? Is there any, am I the only one? No, of course not, because we all love tacos. Think about this. If we're not careful, in our life, we'll find ourselves getting filled on things that were always intended to just be the appetizer. They were never intended to be the meal. John wants to make sure that the people that are following him are very, very clear that, listen, I'm, I'm actually not, I'm not the deal. I'm not the main event. I'm just the opening act. Can I just offer this to you today? What a great place of humility in our life to remain where we're constantly letting people know, listen to me, it's not me, but it's the Christ in me. Listen, it's not just my skill or my talent that's accomplishing this, but it's actually the Christ in me. One of the verses we talk about a lot here is in Matthew chapter five, where, where it talks about this city on a hill. And the whole purpose for us being a city on a hill, the whole purpose of people being able to see the good news in us, why? Is so that we would be able to give honor and glory to Jesus and him alone. I want people to see what's happening here, but I want to give glory and honor to him and him alone. And this is what's, what's motivating John at the, core of his, at the core of his message. Now listen to me. It's important for us to see that what they're waiting for and what they're longing for is unexpected. John is not what they were thinking was coming. In that time, what they were waiting for was a deliverer to, to help them get out of the oppressive rule of Rome. And so what they were perfectly fine with, they were, they were longing for a warrior. What they did not want was repentance. And I just want to remind us that very, very often Jesus comes to us in the way, not that we were expecting, and not what was going to be most comfortable for us, or not what was going to be the thing that we had sort of designed. They wanted the Roman government to be overthrown, and what Jesus provided them was not someone that was going to confront Rome in their own means, in their own manners, but actually Jesus uses the instrument of death that Rome had become so, so profound in. And he uses that as what? As the pronouncement that the kingdom of God is here and now, and he dies on a cross meant for death, and it actually is what gives us life. We have to take note that the way in which Jesus confronts the oppressive power struggle then and there says something to us in the way in which we could front evil in the world even now. It's not through method of, of, of physical confrontation. Jesus gives his life as a ransom for our sin. And this is what John is pronouncing. And this is what the people were not ready for. They wanted to be saved, but what they didn't want to have to deal with is what often you and I don't want to have to deal with, which is repentance which is where we have to come clean before God, where we have to change our mind about the way in which we've been living. We've got to allow a new thought and a new way to enter in. At the core of it, this is what it is to repent. 
It's a new idea. It's a changing of a thought. It's a changing of behavior. It's moving into a different direction altogether. So there's a couple things I want us to grab hold of today. And if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, I want you to write a couple of these thoughts down. And the first one is this. As we talk about this waiting in this season, as we talk about Advent and this sort of longing and this hope, we wait on the Lord, but here's what we need to know, that the peace, there's a peace that is only found in Jesus. And many of us, if we're not careful, and if we'd be honest with ourselves, we're chasing peace, but we're not chasing it and trying to find it in Jesus. We're trying to purchase it. We're trying to barter for it. We're trying to accomplish it. We're trying to remove this so that I might have that. And I just want us to be very, very clear. The peace that we long for in our life only comes in Jesus. At the announcement of Christ's arrival in Luke chapter 2, what we hear pronounced by the angels is what? Peace on earth. It's only coming through Jesus. It's not coming through any other means. It's not coming in any other way that we're thinking about. So let me just say this to you. Let's not long for treaties to be made and peace to be declared by men and by women, but let us long for peace to be established in and through the person of Jesus because it is the only way in which we will ever experience peace here, now, and in the future to come. There's a peace that only comes in Jesus. Isaiah predicted that the Messiah would be the prince of peace. He's called the Lord of peace in 2 Thessalonians. It is through Christ's work of justification that we can have peace with God. And it is the peace of God that will keep our hearts and will keep our minds secure in him. This is the work of the peace of God. And what I love about the scriptures is as it talks about peace, this idea of, of together, nothing lacking, nothing missing. The Bible recognizes that our life is filled with complexities and the way in which peace is talked about in the scriptures is that our complex life that have many different moving parts, that peace is that every area of those would find themselves in right place, in wholeness, not fractured. If you want to paint a picture in your mind, see a brick wall and that brick wall, not missing a brick, not one brick cracked, not one brick uneven. And this is the image and the picture of what peace in our life looks like. And so I just want to ask you this question. Do you have peace in all areas of your life today? Do you have peace in every area? Do you have peace in your relationships? Do you have peace in your vocation? Do you have peace with God? Do you have, do you have peace in your, in your spiritual life? Do you, have, do you have peace in your emotional life? Do you have peace? Do you have peace? If they were all to be bricks and you were stacked upon each other, would there be some that were wobbly? Would there be some be fractured? Because listen to me, don't fall for the illusion that peace is sort of a, if I've got more peace than I don't have peace, then I have peace. Don't fall for that illusion. That's not what God is offering us and not what God is calling us to. God desires that every area of our life would have peace. And that we would work towards that. Here's what I love, that peace, yes, it speaks to a lack of conflict. Peace speaks to a lack of, of war and, and confrontation. But the biblical understanding of peace also says that there is something far greater deposited than what is just missing. It's not that we're just missing conflict, but that there's something greater that's deposited to. That greater being present is a completeness. It is a wholeness. I love in the scriptures when the Bible talks about peace and uses it like a verb, it actually means to restore. 
that peace, when God gives his peace, there's a restorative nature to the peace of God. Listen to me, some of you that are struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with depression, and those things are on the rise in this season. These are hard seasons. The holiday seasons can be very, very hard. And so listen to me, there is a peace that surpasses our understanding, and and God desires that this peace would comfort your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And so listen to me, not only does it want to be void of something, but God desires to put something in. I hope that we'll grab hold of this, that there is a peace that is only found in Jesus. The second one is this, as we're waiting for the Lord, the season of Advent, as we're waiting for the Lord, as we're in this tension, as we're in the already but not yet, as we're in the place between where we are and where we're, we're wanting to head, we're in that in-between. As we're waiting for the Lord, let's wait with him too. Would you come with me to 2 Peter chapter 3? 2 Peter chapter 3, one of the beautiful things about Advent that it does is it calls us to remember the arrival of Jesus. But it also calls us to look towards his return. Because in the same way that Jesus came, in the same way that God responded to the needs of his people and sent Jesus, the Lord will return again. And listen, listen to, him, to uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these These things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting waiting for and hastening, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Drop down to verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So when we talk about waiting with him, the scriptures here tells us what this looks like. First off, I hope that we hear this. Many of us, we we ask questions or we hear things like, man, what is Jesus waiting for? And what's God waiting for? Why doesn't he break through the clouds and set everything right? This scripture tells us precisely why the Lord is long-suffering. It is not that God has forgotten. It's not that he's slow, but God is patient. Why? So that all could come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus didn't come back before I got myself right. I'm I'm glad that the Lord is, is slow in this manner. Why? So that more people can come to a saving knowledge, to an understanding knowledge, to a repentance. The Bible also says as we're waiting, what does that look like? It means that we're living lives of of holiness and godliness, that we're growing in grace, and that we're growing in the knowledge of the Lord. And so, so listen to me in this. As we're growing in holiness, as we're becoming more like him, I love the way in which the Bible talks about this. What I don't like is the way in which some fundamental Christians talk about holiness. 
A lot of people focus on holiness as if it is a list of things that you cannot do and should not do. The reality, scripture says that holiness is becoming more like Christ. How many understand that is far more than just a list of stuff we shouldn't do? Hello. Now, yes, is that going to be changes in my behavior, changes in my actions, changes in my motivations? Yes. But holiness at the core of it isn't to not do some things. It is to become more like Christ. So I want to grow in holiness. I want to grow in godliness. I want to increase in grace. What does that look like? Listen to me. I say it this way. If you have received grace from God, then you had better be a distributor of that grace to other people. If you find yourself being graceless with people, let me invite you back to the foot of the cross to receive grace once again from Christ. Because in the same manner you've received it should be the same manner that you give it. Don't you remember that the scriptures say this, that some of us do not receive forgiveness of our own sin. Why? Not because God is not just, not because God isn't desiring to forgive us, but because we have unforgiveness in our hearts. So let me say it to you this way. Some of your spiritual lives are jammed up right now with unforgiveness. That unforgiveness that you're carrying is actually keeping God from forgiving you from some stuff. Now think about that for a moment. That is uh, no bueno. That's no good. So what do I do when I'm, when I'm growing in grace? Growing in grace means this. I'm receiving grace. I'm aware of it. I'm thankful. Listen to me. Humility is a, on the, a mark of someone's life who is following Jesus in close proximity. Humility. And humility says this, I didn't deserve what God gave me. And the reality is you may not deserve the forgiveness I'm going to give you, but in the same manner that I've received it is the same manner that I pass it on. That's the language Paul uses around the Eucharist. He uses around the Lord's table. He says, listen, he says, what I've received, I'm passing on to you. The same manner should be with grace. Man, the same grace that I'm receiving from Jesus is the same grace that I'm passing on. So hear me, the same call to repentance that I received is also the same call of repentance that I'm declaring to you as well. You see, many people, if we're not careful, we want to talk about grace, but we don't want to talk about repentance. And listen to me, for us to receive the good news of Christ... If we receive the good news, repentance is required. You can very easily acknowledge Jesus as a historical figure and a moral figure. But if we are to call him Lord and Savior, that requires that we repent. And without repentance, he is not our Lord and he is not our Savior. Be clear on this. You can, you can know Jesus as a historical figure and as a moral agent and still not call him Lord. To call him Lord and Savior is to repent and it is to have a change of mind. Some of the change of mind looks like and sounds like for some of us that we no longer get to be the Lord of our own lives. Like we know that theologically, we just don't live that out very, very practically. How often do you check in with the Lord before you do something? Some of you are in jobs right now that you actually never prayed about. Some of you are making like massive decisions in your life and you're not even trying to get the mind of God on it. You're just out here just like wheeling and dealing and like living your life and doing your thing. And I just want to caution you. Man, if we were to live as, if we were to live as God's people, he's the king. 
Man, we have to get a, a level of discernment. We have to get a sense of what is God desiring in our life. The first place we start, if we miss out on the repentance portion of this, man, if we don't live a repentant life before God, how will we ever live a submitted life before God? That's a great place to say amen, great place to tweet, you know, that sort of deal. I want us to get this sense there's a peace that only comes from Jesus, yes, but we're also not only waiting on God, we're waiting with him. And the final thing I want you to grab hold of today is simply this, and, and write, it, write it down this way. Be a voice in the wild. Man, I love John the Baptist as a, a biblical character. I love that it tells us what he was wearing. I look back in the scripture, it's, it's beautiful. Scripture says to us, he says, he says he's clothed with camel's hair. Had a camel hair jacket, the Bible says. He wore a leather belt, Gucci, no doubt. <laughs> and then it says what he ate. It's a paleo sort of diet. I believe that's what it's called. Locusts and wild honey. I like that the Bible will tell you about people. I like that the Bible will give you some details on that. But, but let's, never, let's never make the mistake that who you and I, who we are, who John is, is far less important than who Jesus is. Listen to me, John was the type of personality that was gonna, it would draw attention. Like, apparently, like what he wore drew attention. What he ate drew attention. He was sort of a, kind of a wild, crazy guy. And John makes sure in his ministry that who he is doesn't get in the way of what Jesus has come to do and that Jesus is arriving. And I just want to submit that and I want to offer that to you. Is who you are getting in the way of what Jesus is desiring to do in and through your life? John says in another place, he says, listen, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. I believe for many of us today, here's the challenge and here's the invitation. God desires to increase in you to increase the work even coming through you. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves competing with who Jesus is and how Jesus is able to... Can people see Jesus through you or is he blocked because of you? It's a hard word for us, but we've got we've to ask the difficult question. Jesus, am I pointing people to you or am I obstructing the view? Can you, can you see who... Can you see who Jesus is? Do I get in the way? And listen to me. If there's any part of our life that gets in the way of people seeing, hearing, knowing the good news of who Jesus is, we have to adjust. You say, Charlie, I don't like that. I want to live my life. I want to do my thing. Great, listen to me. The gospel is worth our inconvenience. It's worth it. The good news is worth it. Eternal life is worth it. So we've got to be sensitive. What is God calling us to do? John made it very, very clear. He says, listen to me. I'm, listen, I know we're getting pumped on repentance and baptism. So we're having church, guys. I get it. And notice for these people how baptism, what this is keying in, not only is, is John, John's language but now this act of baptism, they've been waiting for a deliverer just like they had back in Egypt. They were longing for Messiah to come and, and deliver us like you did from Egypt. We find ourselves in places of oppression. We find ourselves in places of discomfort. Oh God, would you come and restore us? Oh God, would you come and deliver us? 
And how John is calling for repentance and what else is he saying? He said, we're gonna pass through the waters. And what is this doing in the mind of every first century Jew? In the same way that you pass through the waters of the Red Sea and God delivered and provided salvation and rescue for you, once again, there is salvation and rescue coming, not from a physical oppressor, but from the sin in us. What a message. And yet John is very, very careful, very quick to say, oh, wait a second, just so we're clear, I can't even unstrap Jesus' Birkenstocks. I can't even adjust his sin. He says, I'm not even worthy to do that. He says, listen to me. He says, if you think this water thing is something, he said, he's coming with the Holy Spirit. And in the same way that you were guided by a pillar of fire and a cloud by the day, in the same way that this was God's presence among his people as he walked them through the wilderness and brought deliverance, what is John saying to them? The same spirit that you saw in a pillar now dwells within you. He said, and that's what he's bringing. And so then the question for them and for us is, are we ready for it? Are we ready for it? Or have we gotten comfortable in the ways in which Rome is when in Rome or do we feel this stirring on the inside because we're waiting we're waiting come Lord Jesus come and in the time and the in between might we wait with hope and might we wait with peace that comes through the repentance of our sins and the work of Christ Church, would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me today?